Jack Pinball gets Willy Wonka out the door. Stern Pinball desperately tries to get you to buy a Black Knight. And the Treasure Tress can open and close in Pirates of the Caribbean. All that and more on episode 362 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Well, look, we were wrong. Jack has done it. Willy Wonkas are on a truck heading out, not just to operators, but also to distributors. And that means they are going to make their way into the homes of customers, most likely before July 4th. So we were wrong. I mean, just even like this week, we were like, there's no way Jack is going to get the game out. The game is out. It is in a truck. It is heading there. We saw a great video of Jack. He's, he's given up the somersault, and I think that's a good thing. We all were worried that Jack was going to severely hurt himself somersaulting in front of his company, so he's resorted to a golf chip, which, which I think is good because no, none of us wanted to see Jack like break his neck trying to do a somersault, and the games are in the truck. The truck is heading out. And uh, locations are going to get it this week. And also I heard, you know, flipping out pinball, Zach Many's company is getting one. And, and that's where it was like confirmed for me that, you know, these games are going to consumers as well. So it's not just operators getting the game. And I think we just have to stop for a moment and say it is a glorious moment in which Jersey Jack pinball actually revealed and shipped a game to people within two months. And I, I don't know if you can hear me applauding in my room. Brenda is running the Vitamix blender right now. I cannot believe it. I told her I was doing a podcast. Brenda, you're unbelievable. But look, that's just the sound of all of us cheering right now. Uh, that Jersey Jack, this is a huge milestone for them because they've never done this before. Uh, if you've been following the Jersey Jack pinball story for the you know over the years, it has always been a story of reveal way too early, make people wait way too long, the hype dies down on the game, and what a better way. I think this is the perfect time to get hype back on this title by getting it into the hands of consumers. So I'm super excited, and I think we should give Jack and everyone over there, Jersey Jack, a round of applause for doing it this way. And he held true to his word, and we were wrong. I, I would ye of little faith over on Canadian Pinball Podcast because I've just seen they've said it so many times they were going to do it, but they did it. And so what does that mean? How could they do it this time? I think a few things. I think some of you have called it out before. Obviously, they are able to make Willy Wonka a lot easier than some of the other games. And I don't mean that's like the games are stripped down. There definitely isn't as much in this game in terms of like the complexity of the build no way around it there's no way around it you know there's not two upper play fields there's not a huge rocking ship they have to put in it there's not as much that they have to i think attach to the game and to the you know the play field as other jersey jack games it seems a lot easier to build i mean if you look at pirates of the caribbean when people are pulling that game apart to make it work it looks like a nightmare to have to build that game on the line. And and this game seems like it's a walk in the park. Probably the easiest game to screw together for the Jersey Jack assembly line. So we're happy uh, that that is the case because they need to do that. And we're going to talk about Gary Stern's interview with Head to Head Pinball on this podcast too. Uh, because, you know, it's, it's hard not to look at these two companies as the main two companies battling it out for pinball innovation and manufacturing. And we're going to talk about what Gary said in that interview. I have a lot of thoughts on what he said. Uh, but, you know, but Jack's always reached for the moon. And, you know, I think sometimes that gets them into a place where it's overly complex and they bite off maybe a little bit more than they should have to to make a good pinball machine profitable for the company. Now, 
Now, look, let's let's just talk about one thing. People are going to have Willy Wonkas before the 4th of July. That is awesome. All right. That is awesome. Now, now, look, you know me on this podcast. It doesn't mean like, okay, we're done. Let's just, everything's good. No, there's going to be a period now in which a few things will happen. And here's what's going to happen. I mean, obviously, people are going to be looking to see how the game has matured since the last streams of the game. And what's interesting about what's going to happen with Wonka is this. A lot of people who are in on LEs and CEs are going to be looking very closely at people's response to the game. And now that it is out, now that it is in the home of buyers and out on location, now is the point in which the true reviews of the game will come out. Because when people stream the game, and you know, pinball media streams the game, it's hard for them to be completely bluntly honest about the experience with the game because you know, you're playing the game early and you're, the manufacturer's giving you the opportunity to take it on a test drive. You know, and you know, the last thing you wanna do is, is sort of be very, very critical of it. Uh, and, and now that it's out there though, now that it's out there, we are gonna get the opportunity for people to play it and give us their objective opinions. Now, we all know, that the objective opinions from home buyers won't be as authentic probably as the opinions from people who play it on location. And here's why, because when you buy something, you wanna justify your purchase and you want, you're more likely to say it's good. Uh, but if you play it out on location, it's not yours, you didn't own it. You're just playing it to see if it's fun and if it's a rewarding experience. So I look forward to getting both of those uh, reviews and feedback from the different players that are going to be jumping on this machine. But look, it's all going to happen very soon. Now, what's going to happen is this. You know, those LE and CE guys, they're going to be watching very closely. Is this game, is it the game for them? Uh, you know, I think everyone's going to love the way this game shoots. I've said it before. I'll say it again. This is the best shooting Pat Lawler Jersey Jack game to date. It's the best shooting Jersey Jack game to date. It shoots so buttery smooth. You're going to love shooting this game. Okay. You're going to love shooting this game. And that's never been an issue with the game. I think the main thing people are going to see is how does the sound on the game, how does it feel to have that sound going repetitively in your home environment or on location? The music seems to be an issue for people. And then the code, the big, the big question mark for most of us is how will the code mature? And we're going to find out, we're going to find out. We're not going to keep talking about it. Uh, but now it's great to just know that Jersey Jack is on a production timeline like we've always wanted them to be. And this speaks volumes and gets me really excited because if Wonka is shipping in June, that means that by the time we get to Q4, right, October, November, there's a very good chance that we will see Guns N' Roses then. And I don't know if it's Guns N' Roses or Toy Story, but I think it's Guns N' Roses. So this means you know, that Jack can sell Wonka for, for many, many months and then show us the next title to get excited for. And if we get that game two months after it's revealed, I all of a sudden start to feel like Jersey Jack is in the exact position they need to be. They need to be to start to chip away at that market share that Stern has and that we want them to sort of be successful. Nobody doesn't want Jersey Jack to succeed. Without them, there isn't as much innovation happening pinball. There isn't as much going into these games. Let's not fool ourselves. They're trying harder than most to make pinball uh, you know, magical. 
and 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 then again and that doesn't mean that like other companies aren't trying as well but we know you know this is the company that has put more in the machine in the last like five six seven years than anybody else okay so jack and everyone over there take a bow you got the game out i can't wait to play it and what i love about being in new york i'm sure sunshine is going to get one like this week or next week they always get stuff immediately so i look forward to jumping on it all right what else is going on like i said the treasure chest in Pirates of the Caribbean, there is a thread on Pinside in which two individuals are working on solves to get the treasure chest to open and close the way Eric originally intended it to work. And I must say, go in that thread and watch those videos. Very cool. I think for me, for me, the coolest part of this community and, and the coolest stuff that happens on Pinside, right? When all the bickering stops, all the moaning and groaning like ceases. The way the community comes together to create solves for games and, and creates mods that make the games better, it is unbelievable. All of the people out there, all of you, you know who you are, you know, Yellow Bird, the mod couple, Mezzo Mods, uh, you know, back is it back alley creations, you know, all you guys who create incredible mods for these machines, take a bow because and all of you out there who are not even part of those companies, right? This is not from a company. This is just an individual who went on a mission, two individuals, to make that mechanism work the way it was supposed to. And it's so cool. There's two different approaches. One guy is using a servo to open and close it. It moves a little bit slower. Another guy has just created a bracket that attaches to the existing mechanism uh, that just causes it to sort of spring up and spring down quickly. Both of them are really cool. I must say the servo one, I like the way it closes a little bit slower, but it seems like a, a lot more complex way uh, to, to create the solve for it. But I must say that is what I love about pinball. As I look at my Batman 66 right now, this game came to life because of all of the mods that the mod couple made for it and, and Mezzo mods too. Like the mods that are in this game made my Super LE look like a Super LE. It looked really cheap. The Atomic Pile mod to me goes down as like the greatest mod in pinball history. And I know it's not interactive, but it just makes the world come to life in, in, in such spectacular fashion. All right. So as that is happening, as that enhancement is being developed by someone on the, you know, the Jersey Jack Pinball Pirates of the Caribbean community, another enhancement has been shared with the pinball community that I couldn't help but laugh a little bit at. And that is, you know, if you saw Jack Danger's stream of the Black Knight, the game that Stern took a risk on, took a gamble on it. Do you think it's selling? I mean, is the Black Knight still going out the door? Uh, the LE and Premium code update and the enhancements we were talking about on the last podcast uh, were revealed to the world yesterday, okay? And I don't really want to go into, like, the code changes because, you know, it's like, that stuff's fine. I, I just think it's funny that they, they acted like we have exclusive code for Premium and LEs of the game. It's like, Stern, you always do that. Like, whenever you have a code update, there's Pro Code and there's LE and Premium. They're really trying... You know, they're trying hard to push out LEs and premiums of this game. I mean, it's clearly not selling. It, it is clearly not a hit. And so when we heard there were going to be physical enhancements to the game, I mean, it's like male enhancements are coming to the Black Knight. You know, I, I fully felt like they were going to put like a schlong on the Black Knight mechanism in the middle of the game. Uh, but look, it turns out 
that the enhancements that Stern has been working on to make the Black Knight experience better are nothing more than a few plastics and a, a post that goes in the upper play field that allows the ball to deflect towards the flipper. You know, I really don't think these were like enhancements. I think that's a little bit of hyperbole. Uh, and it's just funny. I mean, they're free. They don't cost anything. If you want them, you can put them in your game. If you don't want them, you can. You don't have to put them in your game. They don't. They're not really that necessary. I think a couple of them are just meant to prevent plastics from cracking. That's not an enhancement. It's funny. Like Stern really is trying hard. I, I think to move this title. And and and, and again, I, I mean, I was watching the stream, and it's like in the Stern kitchen. There's like nobody really in there but the four people who work on the game and Jack. And it's like, it, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna take off there's just there's no reason why this game is gonna fly off the shelves and we're seeing how easy it is to get this game for a secondhand price uh and and why would you buy one new in box when you can save yourself a thousand two thousand dollars if you just wait i mean le versions of this game are going to be selling for like $7,000 like any day now. And we know it. It just keeps sinking and sinking and sinking. And look, am I am I glad they made the game? Am I not glad they made the game? I mean, I don't really care either way. I think that this game um, was always a big risk for Stern. And I think this game just shows that theme is everything. It is. It's, it's everything. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, people ask me, do you think Willy Wonka is going to sell well or not if the code is this or that? Look, Willy Wonka is going to sell great because of the theme. Sometimes we forget that the majority of people who buy pinball machines, they're not on pin side. They're not these diehard collectors. They just simply are guys with game rooms and a lot of money. And they just ask their distributor, like, what do you got? You know, what, what will work well for me or my family? And they love buying stuff that they have an emotional attachment to. And for that and that reason alone, I think Willy Wonka is going to be tremendously successful for Jersey Jack Pinball. Code or no code. Music or no music change. I, 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 it's gonna, it'll sell twice as many as dialed in. It, it will. And even though some of the pinball purists might be like, dialed in is a better game with better code and better modes and this and that and better music and it have David Thiel and all this, it doesn't matter. Willy Wonka will sell twice as many as dialed in on theme alone. All right, it'll blow away the sales of Oktoberfest, even if you think Oktoberfest shoots better on theme alone. It'll blow away the sales of Black Knight on theme alone. All right, and it, look, it's still a really good game. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still a really good game. People will stand over that game, and when they go to a distributor and they play it or they play it in an arcade, it's going to have immediate gratification for people. It just will, all right? Now, Black Knight, huge risk. Game made for, like, diehard pinball enthusiasts. Uh, you know, here's where I think Stern made the mistake with Black Knight, and I've said it before. I'll say it again. The mistake they made with Black Knight, they had a chance to make this feel like a special Steve Ritchie game for those pinball enthusiasts. And what they really needed to do was not release it with the same marketing strategy that they release every title. And by that, I mean the three-tiered system of LE Premium and Pro. I mean $9,000, $7,500, and like $6,000. They basically put what should have been a more niche specialty game down the same journey as like a Batman or a Star Wars or a Deadpool, you know, or a Beatles, you know, not Beatles, but like, you know, you know what I'm saying? 
they they basically like a Ghostbusters. They just they just apply the same strategy with Black Knight, and it's like no. What they should have done is this. They should have done. We're making Steve Ritchie's like you know the third the third installment in the Steve Ritchie trilogy, and we're only gonna make whatever like three hundred and charge ten thousand each, or we're gonna make like like a thousand and that's it. They needed to limit the number of the total games they made. And they should have just made it like that. And they should have made 1,000 in total and charged like whatever. And they probably would have sold every one. But right now, none of them feel special. There's so many out there. There's so many waiting to be bought. And the game just feels like it's you just can't launch something like this the same way you can launch a title like a Batman or a Ghostbusters. And I think that's why it's failing. All right? All right. Look. But look. Let's talk Stern Pinball for a minute. Because Gary Stern talked. And Gary Stern doesn't always talk. And he went on Head to Head Pinball podcast, um, which is great. I'm glad they got him on the show because I always like to hear from Gary's mouth because he just says stuff that is always very interesting. And I think he said a lot, right? I, I was shocked by some of the stuff he said. Uh, but, you know, two things that jumped out at me. Uh, it's what he said and how he says it. Now, when you listen to Gary talk, I mean, there's a level of smugness. There's a level of, like, ego. There's a level level of attitude that I don't disagree with. You know, Stern Pinball has weathered, you know, he kept talking about the Lehman Brothers crisis and, the, the you know, the crash of the Lehman Brothers and how Stern survived in that 2008 period. And you have to give them credit for surviving that era. Like, it, without them, there wouldn't be modern pinball. And so, you know, I get where a lot of the arrogance and the and the sort of like the swagger comes from because it's true. If you for a moment think that without Stern Pinball, we'd have any of this pinball scene going on and any of this resurgence, you'd be wrong. There wouldn't be any of it. And if Stern Pinball went away tomorrow, you know, pinball, it, it, it's, it might be like the Titanic going down. It might drag every every other boutique with them, you know, down with the ship because, they're just the driving force of pinball in the world. And that's a great thing. Now, that being said, there is no way that we're stupid to the fact that you look at a game like Lord of the Rings and you look at a game like Simpsons Pinball Party and then you look at a game like Black Knight and you tell me that Lord of the Rings, which is like what $3,700 back when it came out, fully featured, and then there was no, right, there's no LE. You just, everyone got like a fully packed game. And then if you want like all the bells and whistles on a Black Knight, it's $9,000. See, there's no way to look at the modern Sterns and to not look at the Sterns uh, that, you know, we look back with, with great appraisal and say the company did start to cut corners, did start to get really cheap. Uh, they turned it around piece by piece. And they have, like Stern has like turned stuff around, but still, Still, to this day, we are not seeing full-featured games in modern Sterns the way we did during Lord of the Rings and some of those other games. We're, we're just not. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to really see like they've leaped forward. Where the innovations have happened with them has been the spike system. They finally have the LCD. But I want to bring up a few things that Gary said and, and, and give my opinions about what he, he discussed. So first of all, he, they talked a little bit about you know, sponsored games. So like Supreme and Paps Blue Ribbon and Primus. And so here's what Stern's going to do. They're only going to use the PBR 
uh, and Supreme Format. I think that's like the Spider-Man, the, the, the stripped-down Spider-Man game. Those two platforms are the two platforms they are always going to use when they make a third-party licensed pin. So that is like, I mean, when I heard that, I'm like, yeah, great. Well, so like, and it's super, it's easy why they're, it's easy for them to do that because they're not, you know, designing for the LCD, you know, they're not, they really can just pour it over artwork. And it's the same game. It's just like, you're really just paying to have artwork and some sounds changed. And then you have your, your personalized pinball machine. So when I heard that, I was like, well, I think that just means like pinball buyers are going to be very weary of any of those like licensed games. And so there's nothing really to look forward to there. So Gary talked about there's 350 people working at Stern Pinball every day. And that's phenomenal. I I mean, when you hear that number, then that's a huge company. And you look at some of these boutiques and they've got like 20 people in there, 10 people trying to screw games together. Uh, You know, when I go to Jersey Jack, there's, there's nowhere near 350 people at Jersey Jack Pinball. I mean, I, I would say like maybe like 50 people are walking through the door every day at Jersey Jack. And it just goes to show, you know, the scale of Stern Pinball when 350 people, 50 of which are working in design. So like 300 of which are probably working on the manufacturing side of the company. That's incredible. It just goes to show how many, you know, the more hands you have, the bigger the line can be, the more games you can get out, the more efficient you can make these things. Uh, that's absolutely a staggering number. Now, here's the other part, though. They have to feed 350 mouths with every game they make, right? That's a lot of salary. That's a lot of money going out the door. You know, I don't know if they have health insurance. I don't know, you know, but at the end, that's a lot of people. So, so like, so something Gary said was this. He said, we are underpricing the pro model of the game. I want to talk about that for a minute because I saw someone even started a pin side thread on that. Do you believe that Stern underprices the pro versions of their games? And Gary said they did. Now, look, I'm trying to look at this two ways. Like, well, they have 350 people, this huge factory. Like, it's a lot of money to make those pinball machines. But then I remember something Nick Parks said. And that the cost to make a Stern Pro is around $3,500. So who's lying? Who's telling the truth? Now, remember when Nick Park said that? You know what happened when he said that? Stern called him up and got all mad and made him make me take down that comment. So why would they be mad if he said that? Why would they be so upset? Because it's probably true. So I do not believe on any level that a Stern Pro is underpriced. You know why it's underpriced? Because Gary would love like to make even more money on it. And, and they're making so much money. So the question is this, hey, Gary, if the Stern Pro is underpriced, I got a question for you, GS. Gary, is the Stern LE, is that overpriced? Would you answer us that? So if you're overpricing the LE and the premium, is your Pro then underpriced? And they don't want to answer these questions. They know the answers to these questions. You know the answers to these questions. The Stern LEs and premiums, we're, we are taking a bath as a consumer on those games. We are not getting the materials and the things inside those games uh, that we should for that much money. You all know it. You all know it. You still keep buying it, though, because it's the only game in town for the most part. All right. Something else. So Gary, when he talks about other manufacturers, he really does talk down about them. You could you could hear it in his voice. He's just like, yeah, you know, those other guys, you know, trying to do stuff, you know, and this and that. Like he just sort of has this like they're nobody to me. 
and they mean nothing. And and I hope that's fuel to Jack, to Robert Mueller, to, you know, Davo and Nermal. I hope that's fueled to Chicago Gaming Company. And it must be because Gary really is very smug. Like it is, he really acts like he could care less about everyone else. And I remember that picture of him standing over the big Lebowski and just kind of being like, eh. And look, look, devil's advocate. Can you blame him for being smug? All these other companies are coming in, trying to make pinball machines. The majority of them come in and fail to deliver and have lost a lot of your money. When you pay like Andrew Highway money and you lose it and Barry and Yop money and you lose it, you know, Gary looks at it like that money could have gone to them and you could have had a game. Instead, you simply like lost it by banking on someone else. All right, something else was interesting. So George Gomez, when he made Lord of the Rings, he had the opportunity to make two games he wanted to make. He really wanted to make something else other than the Lord of the Rings. And the game he wanted to make was The Matrix. It's really interesting. You know, Matrix is a theme that we've been hearing a lot about. Like people really want a Matrix game. And so what happened was this. They were going to they were going to pursue both games. But the Matrix the second movie came out and it was kind of a dud. And they started to realize, well, Lord of the Rings are like all really good. So maybe we should probably make the Lord of the Rings, which is what ended up happening. Uh, and I think that was the right decision. Now, look, if you're going to make a Matrix pinball machine, I really would make one just based on the first movie. I would not make them based on all three because the last two movies kind of sucked. All right. What else does Gary say? They're on a 14-month design schedule. So from concept to inbox, 14 months. Uh, is the window for they design a game. So a little like a year and two months. So it just goes to show, you know, these games are worked on for a really long time. And I think the reason why Gary was saying that is if they're not in love with a theme, they're not going to pursue it Uh, because that's a long, you know, you're working on something for over a year. You want to make sure it's something you're really passionate about. What else did Gary say? So this is great. This is the ultimate shade against Jersey Jack Pinball. Gary said that wide body is way too expensive to make and it's the easiest way to like go out of business. And look at, I mean, all, you know, uh, Jersey Jack's whole philosophy has been wide body and put more into the games. And and Gary gives his rationale. It's like there's more has to go into it, which means more cost, which means it's not worth it, which means you have to charge more, which means, you know, the chances of it failing are greater and all that. And Gary says over and over and over again, we're a business. Like, don't get us wrong. Like, we're not hobbyists. We are a business. And for pinball innovation to advance, you need to make money. To innovate and if you don't make money you can't innovate now that's a big question I have is do you think Stern pinball is the leader in innovation in pinball and is Gary accurate when he says that and I have to say no way no way Stern would keep making the games the way they've always made them if no if someone else didn't come in and create a more modern, more innovative pinball experience. And I think Gary needs to like go back and look at, well, who's the first pinball company that put an LCD into the game? Was it Stern Pinball? No, they, they didn't innovate that. It was Jersey Jack Pinball, and then it was other companies. Stern was late to the game on that, right? They, and so, so like what innovations has Stern done that have been like, you know, you know, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think about it. Like, do you consider Spike One and Two an innovation? I, I, I don't. I don't really think it's like that. That that just made them, you know, able to make the games cheaper. 
Uh, but that's not like a leap forward. And I haven't seen anything in a Stern game be like a radical innovation. You know, even like the artwork on the games, like, you know, the rad cows and other things. And, 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 you know, there's just nothing to me feels like they broke the barrier down and innovated pinball. Like they, there's still no internet connectivity. And when Gary talks about internet connectivity, he talks about like, you're going to be able to download code. And it's like, oh, I mean, that doesn't feel that innovative. So we'll see what happens. But look, again, I, I think Gary doesn't need to, to make bold statements like that. Like they're the ones that are pushing innovation in pinball because they're not always, that's not always the case. And I think you have to sometimes give credit where credit is due. And I'm not, I'm not knocking Stern. I'm saying that Stern has innovated the most important element of pinball. And you know what that is? I mean, it's just, it's just manufacturing. They've found the way to manufacture and ship games across the globe. And, and, you know, to a lot of us, that might just be the most important innovation because innovation in manufacturing gets people games faster, allows them to make more titles every year uh, and brings pinball to more people. I mean, yes, Stern Pinball is the company that has expanded pinball. It is the company that has brought more people into pinball in the last like 10 years than any other company. And they deserve credit for that. They deserve credit for that. But they also can give credit where credit is due. Like Gary, you know, he'll never say it, but he could say, look, when we saw, you know, how good it looked when people were putting LCDs into the games, we knew we needed to go there. I mean, they did not innovate that, that inclusion into pinball. All right. He also says Beatles is the title of a lifetime and there's only 1,964 Beatles available. Gary, clearly the marketplace and consumers do not agree with you and do not think it is the title of a lifetime. It is why the games are still sitting for sale. You guys, again, Gary, hey Gary, is the Stern Diamond Beatles and Platinum Beatles, is that, were, were they underpriced at $12,500 and $25,000 for a title? Hey Gary, is, is the 8,500 Beatles uh, gold, is that underpriced? Tell us again, how much does it cost you to make that game? All right, let's go on. Uh, don't, he says, this is what I love, when, when they asked about the vault editions, and we talked, they talked about, they asked about Lord of the Rings and, you know, and Tron. And you always get the same answer. Like, it's a possibility. That's all they ever say. Like, I'm so sick of hearing, like, it's a possibility. Like, just, just say yes or no. Like, they just dangle the vaults over people's heads. But I love it when Gary says, you know what? Don't wait for vaults. Buy what's available now. Like, buy the Munsters. Buy Beatles. Buy Black Knight. You should, you should not wait and hold on to your money waiting for vaults because they might not come out. So buy what's available. He's such a salesman. Buy what's What's in box? And you, you, can you blame them? I mean, look, for those of you waiting for Stern Vaults, I think you're dummies. I don't think they're happening anytime soon. And it is just so pathetic if you hold on to your money waiting for a Tron Vault. All right. What else did he say? He said 45% of games go overseas and the average age of the buyer is in their mid-40s. Uh, what, what else did he say? He says, he says, if we don't exist, they won't exist. And he's right. If they went under, the boutiques would go under. Uh, what else? Do, do, do. Okay. So look. Here's my take on the whole thing. It's like pinball is at a crossroads right now. We are in the golden age of pinball. There are more titles available to all of you than ever before. I mean, I hear people are, are liking Oktoberfest. That's great. Uh, Willy Wonka is shipping within two months of reveal. That's great. 
Stern's going to have like Jurassic World in a month. That's great. We got Guns N' Roses. We got Toy Story. We got Elvira. We got Deep Root coming at it from a whole different approach. It's a great time to be in pinball. Uh, the economy's held strong. All of it is great. All of it is moving in the right direction. We have the best pinball podcast going on in the world. There's so many good ones out there. We've got the best pinball streaming. It's a good time to be in pinball. So then the final question becomes, is pinball a lifestyle, right? Is Stern Pinball a lifestyle company? And I hear people like, like you know, they rag on Gary for saying that, like it's a lifestyle company. We've got t-shirts and we've got communities. Let me tell all of you right now that pinball is a lifestyle brand. It is. You spend a lot of your life thinking about pinball. You wear apparel that is based on pinball. You spend as much as a cheap car on a game made by a pinball company. You go onto an internet forum every day and you talk about pinball. You listen to pinball podcasts way more than you probably should. You do all you do more about around pinball than you do in terms of eating well and exercising and probably making love to your significant other. It is a lifestyle brand and you are in that lifestyle and I know you probably wouldn't have it any other way, but just admit it that it is a lifestyle when you get sucked into the pinball hobby, all right? Let me read a few emails and then I got to go. All right, so here's the deal. I got an email from Ed C, he says, welcome back. Welcome back, Canada. Hope you had a great time on vacation. Now let's talk some damn pinball. Ed, thank you. And I don't know, do you want to come on the show? I think that's what he's asking. We'll, we'll get you on the show. Mark Felt writes, Chris, let's play a little game. And then he's got the puppet master from, from what was that, Saw? He says, when everyone gets their Willy Wonkas before you, the hype dies further and you still don't have yours. You are so going to cancel your order in October when you still don't have your game and code has not progressed. Why does Jack punish the CE buyers? I bet you that there will be used Willy Wonkas available before you get your game. Well, look, first of all, Mark, thank you for the, the, the challenge, I think. So here's the deal. I'm still in on my Willy Wonka Collector's Edition. I see no reason to get my deposit back. I still want to see how the game fully develops. By the time collector's editions come out, will there be used Willy Wonka LEs for sale? And this is an interesting question, and, and I've said this. I think Jack might have made a real mistake pushing the LEs to the end and making so many of them. So if the, if the LE is $9,000, and we've seen Jersey Jack games, when they come out and they're, make, you know, they're making 5,000 LEs, so no one who has an LE thinks the game's going to hold value because of its limited nature. By the time the CEs come out, a $9,000 LE, if it's been out for like a couple months, what do you think it will sell for use by the time Jack is going to ask the CE buyers for their $12,500? Now, if history has shown us what happens, $9,000 Jersey Jack games will usually sink pretty quickly to like $8,000, okay? So that's let's just, let's just hold it at... $8,000 for an LE at the moment I'm asked to buy my CE. It will be hard. It will be hard to justify for every CE buyer. If I can get the game in pretty much mint condition from a home buyer for $4,500 less, I mean, I really have to love the game and want the game and never want to let go of the game 
to, to spend $4,500 more. Now, the problem I see is this. This is the problem. If Jack were making 200 to 250 CEs, fine. But 500 at, you know, $12,500, the more I think about it, oh, again, like the game just needs to be magical. It needs to be like a game like, like you, you, you know, you're going to own for life to go in at that level. So like, am I going to bail? Time will tell. Time will tell. But I, I'm just, I'm still in on it. So for those of you thinking I hyped it and I dumped it, I have not. I have not. You can ask Joe Newhart at Pinball Star. My deposit is still with him, okay? All right, what else did I got? I got another email from Jeff Jones. So Jeff Jones Jr. says, welcome back. You're my go-to audio for my run home along the Hudson. In your hiatus, I've deferred to other pinball podcasts and have seen my running pace drop drastically. While enjoyable, I guess discussions about the latest podcasting recording software, audio equipment, and travel routes to tournaments only get the heart racing so much. Glad to have your energy and enthusiasm back. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. I'm glad I get the heart rate going. I'm glad I increase your your rate. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, everyone who listens to this, I bet I've, I've made you guys lose a few pounds. Probably because, you know, half of you are like, you know, vomiting after hearing what I say. All right, I got an email from Steve Sunshine Laundromat. Steve parodies Chris. So I was in Brooklyn over the weekend and I hit up Sunshine. Cool little spot. I noticed on my way out, there was a big Lebowski on a shelf. I was like, wow, damn. Why don't I get to play that? Is it new or is it broken? What's the deal? Well, Steve, that game is broken. And there are no parts for it. And it has been sitting there collecting dust forever. Then he writes, Oktoberfest, my local pinball spot. The pinball gallery has it. There, They have over 70 pins. Amazing collection. Kept in great condition. They, pretty, they buy pretty much every new release. I have to say, we enjoyed playing the game more than any other new title I can think of. Super fun and original. I really care less about the art and the screen. How often do you watch the screen when you play pinball? Well, Steve, look, I agree, man. Oktoberfest is packed. Oktoberfest has a lot in it. Oktoberfest is fun to play. Uh, you know, the question just becomes is, will people buy it? Will, is it the game that you want to own? Uh, and that is why I always, I always say, like, theme matters so much because when you when it comes in the door, uh, you want to make sure it's a theme that, that you know, really excites you and you want to keep. Uh, all right, what else is going on in pinball? Let me see if I got any other emails or notes. I did get another Patreon subscriber. I want it. Paul Molinari. Paul, thank you so much for becoming a Patreon supporter of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I really do appreciate it. For those of you out there, if you want to donate to the show, if you've listened to all 300 and like, what, 62 episodes I've done for you, 362 episodes, not counting the deleted episodes, not counting the horrible rumors I got from Iceman episodes that got taken down, 362 episodes I've done for free. So thank you guys who donate and show your support. Um, this has been episode 362 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I want to once again sign off by congratulating Jack on getting the games out the door. And this is exciting. I look forward to seeing people's response to Willy Wonka now that it is out in the world. A glorious day in the pinball hobby when a new pinball machine is born into the world. May we all celebrate this day. Have an awesome day, everyone. Be my, be my.